Are you ready to run your short-term rental business like a super host? If so, look no further than Guesty for Hosts. Guesty for Hosts offers listing management for all three major OTAs, Airbnb, Booking.com, and Verbo. With Guesty for Hosts, you can create a branded direct booking website in minutes. I've been able to hit 61% direct bookings in my business and automate daily tasks such as communication with cleaners and communication with guests. Click the link in the show notes to get an additional $20 off your first month. Welcome to Live, Let, Thrive a podcast about the Airbnb life, the share economy, and everything in between. Here are your hosts, Micah and Steve. Hello, hello, hello. And welcome back to another exciting episode of Live, Let, Thrive. What is up, Micah, man? I'm chilling, Stevie Stacks. How you doing? I'm doing, man. I'm excited about a few things coming up in the LLT world. Uh, big meetup tomorrow. I know it's gonna this episode will drop later, but yeah, it's gonna be a great meetup. We're gonna talk about LLTU. We're gonna drop that. Yeah, we'll talk about Ooh. it. It's, yeah, it's yeah. in the works. It's in the works. Yeah. So we got some. We got some things coming up. And this is episode one ninety eight. Micah, one ninety eight. Almost a two hundo. running. Yeah. Have your favorite Airbnb, VRBO, Uber, Lyft. Share economy, all that stuff in the world podcast. And we are coming at you from Arlington and Fort Worth, Texas. And who we got today, Steve? I'm glad you asked, Micah. We got a special guest. Who do, you, who do we have is Jonathan Nichols. Who's Jonathan Nichols? Well, good thing he wrote me a little bio to read. Uh, Jonathan Nichols and his wife, Paula, started in the air str business a few years ago in Arlington, Texas, by renting their guest room on Airbnb. After seeing the potential with STRs, they went out on to convert their first investment property to STR, which is a fourplex strategically located across the street from AT&T Stadium. Today, Jonathan has added additional properties personally owned to their STR portfolio and also done some work in rental arbitrage. However, their most exciting project is an eight-unit complex that they syndicated last year with their multifamily syndication company, Apogee Capital, A-P-O-G-E-E Capital, and then converted to an STR property. Exciting stuff. Welcome, Jonathan, to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Man. Oh, man. You got ah, so much stuff that you just on that bio we want to jump into, especially the syndication part. Well, we'll ease into it. So no, Micah, want... ease into that. That's what people need to know, man. We got... Mike, has got, Mike already has his questions in mind. He's ready to roll. <laughs> yeah, like I want, I want you to really break that down. Like how'd you got into that syndication deal and are they all short-term rentals inside of that deal? Yeah, that's a great question. So in this particular deal, uh, yes, all eight units are syndication and basically um, like Steven was reading, you know, we, our first rental property, a four unit fourplex, um, that my wife and I owned, we converted all the units to Airbnb. And, um, we realized the potential of doing that in a multifamily property in the same way that you have economies of scale with multifamily and long-term rentals. You also have economies of scale in short-term rental. You know, you have, um, much easier cleanings for your cleaners, um, you know, you can keep all your supplies right there. It's just, it's really simple when you have multiple properties there together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we begin thinking like, hey, what if we just did a small multifamily, like a legit commercial multifamily property um, and, and basically syndicated it together 
um, and then did short-term rental with all of it. And just to give a little bit of, of color to the story, so we have two different businesses in real estate. One is, of course, short-term rentals, but then the other one is we do multifamily syndications. Um, for anyone in the audience that doesn't know what that is, basically it's um, large multifamily properties, typically a lot more than eight units. Um, we'll pool investors together to purchase those properties and then do some kind of value-add business plan to increase the value on those um, with an exit strategy, usually four or five years down the road, um, you know, to return capital plus profit to investors. And so uh, that's our other business that we do. So I thought like, hey, what about this idea of marrying the two together and using our skills of syndication, but then, you know, the cash flow abilities of, of short-term rental to do a project. And so um, I had a broker bring me this deal in Arlington and he said, Hey, I think it's probably like smaller than what you're going to want to be interested in, but would you be interested? And when I looked at the map, I realized it's like two blocks from our other properties. So I said, yeah, absolutely. And um, happy to go in as much detail as you want, but I mean, the rest is history. Break that deal down. Like what was your purchase price? What did you have to guys have to put into it? Like rehab it. And then what's your exit strategy on that? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and while I go through it, I'll talk about some of the challenges too, because mm -hmm. it's a very, it's a very niche acquisition and business plan um, that, you know, we kind of had to figure out, like I said, bringing both of these worlds together. So I already mentioned it was, it was brought to us from a broker, typically in multifamily, most properties trade through brokers. Um, they are kind of the gatekeepers, if you will, of multifamily sales. And so um, your relationships with them in large part determine how good of deals you can find in that world. Um, so this broker who I've been friends with for a while brought the property to us and um, it's in the entertainment district in Arlington for anyone that's familiar with that area. Um, and, you know, basically it was, I don't want to say run in the ground because it was hundred percent occupied, but definitely in need of a lot of TLC. And so, um, you know, we put together a, a business plan, like you mentioned, for, for CapEx and such, and said, hey, we're going to buy the property. We're going to um, evacuate all the units. You know, basically, it was mostly month-to-month -month leases. So, you know, mm -hmm. basically just terminate the leases, completely renovate the whole building, and then, you know, turn it into short-term rentals, just like what we did with our fourplex, except twice as big. Um, and so, I mean, the first challenge that we had um, was getting partners on board who wanted to, you know, put money into this kind of project. And so we're pretty fortunate that, you know, in the multifamily world, it's very common to have multiple partners provide an equity on a project. And so, you know, we had partners that, you know, we could go to and, and pretty readily um, find the capital that we needed to close on the property. The, the purchase price was uh, seven, 726000 which you kind of wonder where that number comes from. I always add another one or 2000 on my purchase price. So if I come up with 725, I'm going to throw another thousand because I don't want to get beat out by someone mm -hmm. that's putting the same price in. So um, anyway, so purchase price was 726,000, which is like 92 a unit, which is pretty cheap for, for Arlington multifamily, quite honestly. Um, but it needed about four or five K per unit of rehab varying just depending on the units you know we painted all of them some of them we did some floor work um had to replace um uh heater air conditioners um fortunately the major systems of the the building like the roof and the windows and stuff are pretty good we resurfaced the whole parking lot um 
so total capex was something like 80k um, for the whole property, um, which is you know significant for for a property of that size. And so um, you know one challenge was getting getting the money to be able to close on the property. The second and probably biggest challenge um, was finding the debt for the property. Um, so multifamily debt is a little bit different than your normal residential. Um, if we walk into a mortgage broker for a residential property, if you're going for a personal loan, they will almost give you a loan plus probably more than what they should. I mean, mm -hmm. they will very readily say, Hey, you know, you deserve a nice house. We'll give you a big loan, you know, pat you on the back, do whatever they have to do to get across the finish line. It's a pretty simple process. If you're doing an investment property, it's, it's pretty similar, except, you know, you have to put a little bit higher down payment. Mm -hmm. Um, with commercial, it's completely different. Commercial is all about trust. It's about track record. It's about your business plan and it's about the property's potential. And so, you know, we had to really clearly document what our business plan was with this property, our track record with our other multifamily properties, um, and then take that to a small local lender to be able to talk to them. And so um, we actually got into the project with one lender who I thought was a very strong candidate. Um, it went before their committee and, and they approved the loan. And then um, three weeks before we were going to close, they actually called the loan off when it went through the second round of committee meeting. Basically, their reasoning is we're not comfortable with a short-term rental model. Um, and so, you know, we had obviously explained all this extremely well in our presentation. That's what it centered around. But, you know, we had to pivot and find another lender. And fortunately, we were able to do that. And um, we found another lender. Um, who was willing to give us the loan on the project plus funds for some of the CapEx. Um, we got the appraisal, which was extremely difficult to do in three weeks. And we closed about 15 minutes before close of business on our last day to close. So, you know, it was kind of a, kind of a slide into home base kind of moment, but you know, that's all that to say that like, there are challenges with approaching a project like this. Um, but that those are some things that, you know, listeners might want to think about if they're considering it. Man, I, I got so many questions on that. You, you, first off, where, where did your appraisal come in at when you bought it at 726? It came in at 726. Okay. Um, and then, so, so, you know, multi, multifamily, I mean, with commercial, it's going to be income based. Mm -hmm. um, and if you, it is not uncommon if you have a really good property to get an appraisal that's a little bit above what you're paying for. And obviously that's a good thing. Um, when you have properties that are more run down, if they're coming in, like, say, just a hair below, I, I think, I don't know this, I'm not an appraiser, but I think they kind of just bump it to the purchase price and let you have it as long as it's not crazy, um, especially if they see a lot of potential in the property. Uh, but yeah, it came in right at purchase price. Okay. And then how much did you guys have to put down? 10%, 20%? How did that lender work with you? 25%, which is, that's, that's pretty common for, for your standard bank loan on a, on a commercial project. Um, you know, sometimes you may put as low as say 20 and you may put as much as 30 or even 35. Um, but for us, it was, it was 25%. Okay. And then now your down payment was that, that was syndicated, correct? Correct. It was, it was us and a few other, a few other partners. So technically it's not, and this, this may be going in a little bit in the weeds, but technically it's not considered a syndication. It's technically considered a JV project because it was just mm -hmm. a few partners. We're all active members of the property. 
Um, whereas a syndication, you'll have two different sides. You'll have a general partner side that's active and then a limited partner where all they do is provide equity. Um, so technically all members are active members on this project. So it's, it's actually a JV project if, if anyone's like super in the weeds on multifamily. But, but yes, it, the, the point being that, you know, there's multiple sources of, of equity for the project. Okay. And then how did you structure that, right? So you tell this lender, hey, we're going to short-term rent all these things. I know they're like, whoa, hold on, what's that? You know, now how did you, did you like structure it in a way where, well, we're leasing this to another company and they're going to pay us money and then that company's going to run the Airbnb business or how did you structure that? You know, that's a good question. You know, my my thing in, in real estate um, is I always, especially with the, the vendors I'm working with, I always want to be as transparent as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and we told them, I said, Hey, we're going to short-term rental this. And if you're not interested, I understand. Uh, but this is what it looks like. And here is an example of a four unit property that we've done this on. It's literally identical, just half the size of what we're wanting to do here. Same location, same vintage, same level of rehab. Um, here's the track record of what we have on income for the last two years. Oh, by the way, one of those years is COVID and we still have great income through it. Um, and so when you put all those arguments together, um, you really build a case for, you know, why they should lend you money. Um, but so no, we were completely transparent. We said, this is a short-term rental project or, you know, are you interested? Okay. My turn, my turn, my turn. Let me ask a question. I just want to know something before I yeah. lose, I lose, I forget it. Um, yeah. So Ed, this is what we want. This is, this is our goal. We want to do some syndication too. That's our, that's our goal for this yeah. year. And, sure. and we want to, and to sit down with these bankers and you're talking about, yeah, you're going to, you're showing them all this and that. I, okay. How, how are you showing them this? I, I want to know, like, how are you, what are you coming in with binders or what are you coming in with your laptops? I mean, I just want to know what are some tricks of the trade? So we don't look, you know, cheesy, like we don't know what we're doing. So how do I mean, you, you passing everybody out like a binder. This is, you know, our profits from each STR that we do currently in Arlington or how do you, how do you show them? How do you show them? It's a really great question. So, I mean, there's probably multiple ways you could do it. Um, the way we did it was uh, my wife and I, we put together uh, basically just a PowerPoint presentation and you want to give enough information to make the lender comfortable. Um, you don't want to overshare, right? So you want to, you want to build your case, but you don't need to put in more than what you need. So things that would have been contained in this folder, you know, Hey, we bought this fourplex four years ago because it was our, it was our primary target because it was the most similar property that we had to the eight unit. We could show them a single family house or something, but they're not going to be as interested in that. Um, So we showed them, hey, this was our purchase price. This is the rehab that we did. And we had actually just refinanced that property, which meant that we had a second appraisal, you know, two, three years down the road. So we said, hey, this was the value at the time of purchase. This is the value two and a half years later. Um, You know, a lot of this value came from CapEx, you know, and, you know, so we, we think that we're going to see a very similar story here on this eight unit property. Um, we talked to him about a lot of our management philosophy, you know, how we're able to get customers, things that things that you would talk about if you were if you were coaching someone through maybe like a first short term rental or arbitrage property, you know, like, hey, it's not just people coming into town for Six Flags, although that could be it. It's also business people. It's also people traveling for families, for medical reasons, like we have a very wide umbrella of customers for this business. And, um, you know, that really, 
um, I guess, bolsters the, the confidence that we have that the project's going to perform. Um, so, and then obviously we gave the numbers, you know, hey, this is what we've made on these properties the last couple of years. This is our projections of what we think we will make on this eight unit going forward. Um, I like to do kind of a range, both a low and a high end, you know, so they can see like kind of a worst case scenario versus a best case scenario. And so I ran one that was like uh, a COVID year income for my worst case scenario, um, basically based on the income that we had had during 2020, um, the first few months of COVID. And then, um, you know, kind of a best case scenario of what we had like fall of 2019. Um, so they could kind of see a range of, of what we expected. Um, and then I think beyond that, just, just a little bit of, uh, tidbits to kind of show them that you understand the business, like, you know, showing your guests reviews and what they've said about your property, um, you know, explaining to them your systems and your teams, it really puts you in a spot that, you know, you appear as a professional instead of just someone that's, you know, kind of taking a, a crack at a crazy project. Hmm, I like that. Now, after all that, you turned it into a bunch of short-term rentals. Well, how did they evaluate that property after you turn it into short-term rentals and say, oh, okay, this property is now worth this much, seeing that they're all Airbnbs? Because I know it's based off the income, right? That's correct. And so it's, it's really interesting. So the way they did the appraisal when we purchased the property was they did not even make an assumption about like what the rent would be after rehab, which to me seemed really weird. And they certainly didn't jump into the short-term rental. Mm -hmm. They just said, hey, we know that this guy can rent these properties out like they're being rented now. Um, these are current rents. This is kind of what we see based on an income approach. Um, basically, the purchase price would be about a five and a half cap. Um, and so, you know, based on that, you know, we think that we can give him this value. I have not gotten an appraisal on the property since we finished. We closed on this about a little over six months ago. Um, okay. I would I would be interested to get one. <laughs> um, I've... I've spent a lot of time talking to other operators, including one or two people, other people that have done similar projects. And I've heard that basically they take your net operating income. And then instead of being like a five and a half cap, they'll do it by like maybe six and a half or seven cap, which I think is still super aggressive. Um, what that basically means is that probably the, the value of the property, if someone's willing to pay for it, could be bumped from you know, 726 to probably like, you know, 1.1, 1.2 million or mm. something. But you have to convince a buyer that it's worth it. Obviously, everyone wants to get into short-term rental for the cash flow and the higher price you pay, the less cash flow you get. So there definitely would be tension in between those numbers um, when you're searching for a buyer. But certainly you could get a premium on what you would get for a, a normal rental without a doubt. Do you plan on taking money back out of it after you uh, get it appraised? Um, you know, probably will at some point. I think that at a minimum, we need to run it through the fall this year. Um, our last unit came online about a month and a half ago. And as y'all know, I mean, the fall, especially in Arlington, the fall's the, the money-making season. So when you bring financials to the bank, they will probably look at the whole year, but definitely we want the three, four best months of the year included in those financials. Um, so, you know, probably holding off on that for a while, but I mean, yeah, if, if numbers make sense, I think, I think refis are always great. Um, you know, I've done it on a lot of my single family properties and you, you have to be careful because you, you, mm -hmm. you can overdo it. You want to make sure you're still cash flowing really well. But um, with this property, I don't think that would be an issue. 
Hmm. Now, then the Steve brings a good point. So is your guys extra strategy at the end to refi or to sell? Cause I know you guys said usually after five years, you make that decision. Yeah. So, so you're correct. I mean, most of our business plans, we underwrite to five years. It varies a little bit depending on the, on the property, but I have a feeling about five years in maybe slightly sooner we'll be ready to sell this project. Um, we could refi say a year. And that's one of the beautiful things about bank loans is that they're relatively, relatively being the key word, inexpensive um, compared to like agency loans and other types of commercial lending. And so um, doing a refi, there's no prepayment penalty. There's no, um, you know, kind of real gotchas as far as a financial standpoint, you know, you pay um, maybe, I don't know, half a point or a point or something on the property. And then, you know, you have your refi done. So um, based on that, it makes a lot of sense, even one year in or a year and a half to go ahead and, and do some kind of refi. If you believe you can pull most of your money out, but um, it also depends on the lender's appetite, right? Like if we go back to them and ask them for a refi, we're going to have to build the same kind of case that we did when we first went to them, except this time, instead of us having 25% of the money in, it's going to be, we're going to have 0% of the money in. And, you know, you really have to have a strong case for a lender to buy into that plan. So um, yeah, we'll see where it goes. Okay. And uh, I'm sorry, I'm hammering you, man, because this stuff just yeah, fascinates dude. me. Anything with Burr and uh, syndications, <laughs> I love it. So yeah. and, and you said on that property, it was just a bunch of, you guys just did a JV. How many partners does it take to make a JV to where it's this many partners? So now it needs to be a syndication. Yeah. So the rule is if it's a JV, everyone is an active partner, meaning that they have voting rights. They can make decisions about the property. Now, um, you know, I have an LLC that's a, a management company for short-term rentals that runs our arbitrage properties and all that. So officially in our operating agreement, that LLC is the property manager of the company. And so the day-to-day -day decisions and stuff for short-term rental um, are made by that company, you know, no, no questions asked. Um, but in terms of overall project and performance, technically every partner has a say. And so that's kind of the, the thing is it's not about the number of people, it's about their level of control over the deal. Um, with this particular project, all the people in are you know, very close friends and investors in the project that we know well. Um, they're very sophisticated. They understand what we're doing. And so, you know, I'm not worried about someone, you know, giving input that is, you know, not appropriate or something like that. Whereas in a syndication, um, your investors are required to understand what they're investing in, understand the deal, but they don't have to have an understanding to the level of being able to control a deal. And that's when you branch off and, and, and have a syndication with general partners and limited partners. And, and, and the advantage to that is that, you know, you as an, an active member on the, the syndication team know that you have the control you need. Um, the limited partners, they have limited liability um, in addition to limited control, that's another thing that they, you know, really like about it. Um, and it's a hundred percent passive, you know, so, um, you know, for people who they want to invest in real estate, but they don't want to do anything. It's an outstanding option. Man. It's a lot more. Oh, one other important thing. Syndication, way more expensive, way more expensive mm. and more difficult. Yeah. So how much does it cost to start a syndication? Yeah. Um, overall, it really depends on your deal size and stuff, but let's put it this way. Um, in a syndication, 
all your LPs have to review what's called a PPM or private placement memorandum. It's basically a 40 page document that your attorney drafts up that describes everything that could possibly go wrong with the deal. To get a PPM written is about $15,000 oh just by itself. <laughs> so what that means, what that, what that should translate to in your head is small property doesn't make sense to spend that kind of money. If you're buying a, you know, five, eight, 10 plus million dollar property, it makes a lot of sense to spend that kind of money, you know, because it's a small percentage of your total costs that go into acquiring the property at that point. And you got to do one each time for each different property. Absolutely. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Man. Separate LLC, separate operating agreement, separate PPM. Um, it's a, it's, it's a business is what you're forming, right? It's, it's a legal business. And so, the the people in the business you know it, it 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 just takes that kind of paperwork to be able to to make it happen and the share economy needs to figure that one out <laughs> Man, so, no, i'll go ahead steve no, so do you think yeah for smaller properties it's just better you and your um uh you know partners just form an llc and and do it that way yeah, yeah it is and, and honestly financially it makes a lot of sense too right like if, I mean, for this property, we had like, let's say a quarter million dollars of equity going in, right? Between CapEx and, and down payment. Um, and so you start thinking about, if you if you were to look at the cash flow and start thinking about breaking that down percentage wise, you know, if you had 30 or 40 investors in that, they would basically be making no money. I mean, it would be very small, right? The piece of the pie would be so small. Whereas on a very large property, you know, we have 30, 40 investors typically on a syndication deal um, in each one of them. It, it's a small piece, but because the pie is so big, it still is, you know, meaningful. Okay. Now let's go into the whole Airbnb side. So yeah. how do you guys like, cause I know it's a joint, everyone has the say in the deal. How do you yeah. guys operate it? Do you operate it? Is someone other partner operates it? How do you, how are you guys running it? I, I, so my, I have a short-term rental business. It's called Northridge Rentals. That's my LLC. And um, we are the property manager. So basically in the legal documents, it says Northridge Rentals is the short-term rental property manager for this project. And they will run the operations of it. Now, um, obviously that's my company. So that's, you know, me running it, but you know, what comes with that obviously is the experience that we have doing Airbnb, you know, like y'all, you know, we have a team of, um, you know, VAs and managers and cleaners and handymen, stuff like that. And so all that comes as a package deal. And then, you know, the LLC receives a management fee for running the short-term rental. Um, and then that's divided up amongst everyone on the team, including myself. And, um, you know, that's, that's how we get paid for, for running the business. Oh, so you're managing it, but then all the management fees get distributed among each uh person that's on the llc uh not not quite so think okay. about it like this so you know we have we have let's say a hundred dollars come into the pot right so uh -huh. our management fee our management fee that we charge for this property is 15 percent of gross income which is mm -hmm. i mean as you know that's pretty reasonable for for management oh, yeah. on a short-term rental now yeah. so so basically that's a management fee. Just like if we had a big syndication, we would have a third party property manager, right? Mm -hmm. And we would, they paying them would be an expense. It would have nothing to do with our shares or ownership. It's just, that's the expense. In this case, it's just my company who happens to run 
the short-term rental as the property manager. And so we receive that as a fee. It's an expense from the business. Um, but then within the deal at the end of the day with the cash flow and the splits and eventually profit from sale, that's split amongst all the partners based on our ownership percentages, if that makes sense. Gotcha. Gotcha. So basically they're paying you, but it, it comes from everyone. Yeah. They're paying that exactly. LLC. It, okay. It, exactly. That's correct. Yeah. And so, um, oh, go ahead. Oh, and that's just because obviously, um, you know, it, in theory, if for some reason, say we were unable to continue running the business and we had to hire another short-term rental property manager, it would be real easy to then divvy up that pie and just hand it over to them, right? Yeah. Um, and still be owners in it. So that was the purpose for structuring it that way. Now, in the, in the JV, were you the only person on the deal with short-term rental management experience and you brought that to the table? Definitely. I, I believe the answer to that is yes. Um, mm -hmm. I think there may be one or two people that own, you know, like maybe they, they run one home or something, but by and large, yes. Um, however, um, multiple people on the deal familiar with multifamily, everyone's an investor, sophisticated investor, either in multifamily or other residential properties. And everyone understands the short-term rental business very well, even if they don't run it day in, day out, you know, at a, at a high level. Gotcha. Man, this is fascinating, man. I, 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 <laughs> this is next yeah. level. I'm happy you're doing this because this is why I think this is the future of it. Yeah. You know? yeah. Let's walk it back a little. Okay. Your yeah. origin, your origin story. You just went and what, what year did you just decide to start renting a bedroom out of your house? And how did that go with your wife? Yeah. Well, so it actually is the other way in, in our relationship. It's my wife trying to convince me. So oh, wow. That's we, rare. we got, yeah, we got married about four and a half, almost five years ago. Um, and bought, you know, just an average modest house in Arlington, Texas. Um, oh, what about, and, by the way, because I have a couple over there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know where, um, man, what's the park called? See, now I'm drawing a blank on, uh, in North, North Randall Mill Park by Randall Mill Park. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I know that's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, nice neighborhood, but just very, very average, I would say. Um, and we had no interest or ambitions in real estate when we got married. And, but shortly after we got married, my wife's like, hey, we need to get a hobby together. <laughs> and I was like, what, what, what are we going to do for a hobby? You know, I, I don't, let's go out and eat or I don't know. But no. So one day I'm reading. I love to read. It's one of my, my hobbies. And I read the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm. And kind of the rest is history from there. Right? I just started learning and learning. And we um, realized that to do our, buy our first property, because our original plan was just buy a single family rental and just rent it out, um, that we were going to need a pretty big down payment. And even though we had good jobs, it was going to take a long time to save for that. And so we said, what can we do to make extra income? And so we just basically got the idea from a family member, like, Hey, what if you just like rent out a guest room on, on Airbnb and like, it made great money, you know? And so I mean, it was not something we want to do forever, but we did it for a short time, got our down payment and bought our fourplex, you know? Mm. So, you know, it's, you do, you know how it is when you start out in real estate, you do what you have to, to be successful. And so um, we house hacked the fourplex so we could get a lower down payment. We actually moved there um, and we renovated all the units while we lived there. Um, and as soon as our year of living there was up, we immediately moved to another house and got out of there. Mm -hmm. Um and we did another big project that was basically a flip, but we we live in our flip. This is it where I'm at right now. Uh, we did that during COVID. And then at that point when 
we, by that time we were doing a lot of short-term rental. And, you know, one thing in real estate is that there's a million different ways to make money in the business, but you have to decide what your niche is and just really focus hard. Right. So for me, I like short-term rentals and I like multifamily. Like those are the two things I understand. I enjoy um, and so that's, that's what I do. Right. So I don't plan to do any more flips. I don't plan to do any more long-term rentals, um, just because I want to be good at these other things, but, um, yeah, so it's, that's, that's kind of the, the history right there. Now, now this is interesting because I mean, luckily you bought a fourplex, you know, cause we know the history, we've talked about the history of Arlington before, you know, first of all, you were uh, where your first house was, where you were doing it out of your bedroom, eventually out of the, uh, you know, a guest bedroom, uh, eventually they, they banned Airbnb outside of that. That's bubble, correct. Right? We, we could, one, we could not do it there if we live there today. That right. Is right. So you were doing it before the ban came Yep. before they right said before. only, yeah, only houses in that one yep. mile radius around the stadiums can do it. Yep. And then, but you, so you bought the fourplex after the ban was put into place? Yeah. So that's a good question. So um, we bought it before um, okay. and we did not buy it with the intention of doing short-term rental. We were oh, okay. long-term rent it. Um, and so we did our analysis and numbers and, you know, my background, I'm, I'm an engineer. I know how to do numbers. I know how to do analysis, um, but I didn't know how to do real estate. And so we buy it and I realized, wow, basically the guy that, owned it before us was a slumlord and everything's breaking left and right. Mm. And so instead of cash flowing like three or 400 a month, it was more like we were probably putting in 300 a month by the time mm. it was all said and done. Wait, you bought Which my old we, house? I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's, it's, it's not the end of the world. You can make worse mistakes in real estate, but it's definitely disheart, disheartening when it's your first investment. Mm. Um, but I mean, because we had done Airbnb before we said, Hey, the stadium's right here. Like, what if we just rent it out on Airbnb? Um, well, about that time is when, you know, all the legislation was going down in Arlington, um, which I'm sure both of y'all are extremely familiar with. Oh, yeah. And, and um, before we started our first unit, I think it went into effect maybe two months before. I mean, it was right at the same time. And I, I was even at the city council meetings, you know, when they put it into effect because I was very interested in, you know, the results. Um, and so, you know, we said, Hey, obviously it's kind of by the grace of God that we happen to be in this zone, but you know, we're going to follow the rules and just do what the city says. And so, um, anyone who doesn't know, uh, Airbnb short-term rental in Arlington, uh, aside from being in that zone, which, um, is important, it is very strict. You have to get permits. They come and inspect your place every year. You pay a lot of money in hot tax. It is it's a very Airbnb unfriendly city overall, uh, but it is allowed. And the good thing that I have found is that as a property owner who does short-term rental, um, the numbers make a lot of sense when you start to look at the kind of income you can pull from that area. And what else is interesting is that if you think about paying a 9% hot tax and what that does to your, your income overall, um, and then you think about doing rental arbitrage and the premium that you have to pay for rent versus the amount you pay for a mortgage when you own, which is much lower. You can pay one premium, hot tax or rent, but you can't pay both premiums. And so you don't have a lot of rental arbitrage that goes on in Arlington, which means less competition. Mm. Um, and so it, it's it's a pick your pick your poison, right? Like for us, it's worked out really well because we follow the rules. We get along with the city really well. 
um, and we're known for being able to pass inspections and permits, you know, pretty flawlessly. Um, but you know, it just depends on the person. The important thing is that anyone who's starting a new project is aware of what the rules are before they sign a lease or buy a property. And I'm, I'm sure everyone on your podcast knows that, but you know, I see people on forums all the time who, you know, they'll go, you know, buy a property with an HOA and then three days after they close, they're like, Hey, by the way, no short-term rentals. (laughs) (laughs) Now you said, now you, you got your hands in a lot of pots. You said you do ownership, you've done a little bit of arbitrage and you do management. Now, which one do you like the most at all though? Okay. So first of all, I only do management for properties I own. So I'm not out trying to find other property. That's just not my thing. I I do it because I like to have control over my properties. I like to run them the way I want to run them. Um, Don't, I'm not under any illusion that, you know, I'm necessarily like the best management company in the world or anything like that. I think we do a great job. Um, And I like doing it on our properties, but we don't do that as a, as a business. Um, um, Cause I know probably some of your listeners do. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of short-term rental, the reason, the reason I do two things, multifamily and short-term rental is because of this short-term rental has incredible cash flow capabilities. Um, but I would say, in my opinion, limited wealth building capabilities compared to other types of real estate, particularly if you only do arbitrage, right? When you own a property, it greatly increases your ability to build wealth because you have debt pay down, you have appreciation, you have tax benefits, et cetera, et cetera. Um, When you have commercial property, it's that times like five, you know, your tax benefits are much higher. Um, You can force appreciation based on the way commercial properties are valued. Um, And so, you know, you have tremendous wealth creating capability, but in markets like we see today, not necessarily a lot of cash flow. And so I think the two complement each other incredibly well, because for us, we have our short-term rental properties that provide us cash flow that I replace my income from my W-2 with. And then we have multifamily, which long-term builds wealth, even though you don't necessarily see it right off the bat, if that makes sense. Perfect sense. Perfect sense. So, so how is this eight unit set up? Is it, is it a long line of eight properties together or is it like a little apartment complex? It's two buildings. It's a it's a six unit building uh, that's just like a big rectangle, two stories, three units top, three units bottom. They're all two ones, and then it has a duplex off to the side that's two one one units. Um, so it's it's a very um, interesting layout to say the least. But uh, I mean, I think we've really turned it around well. I'll have to show y'all pictures sometime of it. Yeah. You know, bef- before and after. It's at the end of the day, it's you know, it was like I think a late 60s build property. It's an older property. It's a C-class property. It still is, you know, it's not a luxury short-term rental, but you know, for someone who they're coming to Arlington, they want to take their kids to an event or whatever. And they're like, man, I can pay, you know, I don't know, 120 bucks a night for a hotel, um, providing it's not like a football night, you know, $129 <laughs> a night for a hotel for a little room, no kitchen. I have three kids. We're all crammed in here, or I can have a two-bedroom apartment for basically the same price with a kitchen, multiple beds, you know, hospitable host that I can support their local business. You know, it's not a fit for everyone, but for some people, it's a great fit. Now, mm. have you gotten kind of creative with that? Since you got all these two ones, have you ever like listed multiple under one listing, like maybe rented out as a huge, you know, family reunion? I don't know, something like that yeah. or no? 
No. So probably this is, this is where the line is, is drawn between your experience as a as short-term rental host and mine. But um, what we, ha- we've not done that um, at least intentionally. I have had people who they realize that we have multiple units in a building. Um, I think it's happened more at our fourplex just because we have a longer history with it. Mm-hmm. And so I've had people who say like, Hey, we have family coming. We want to rent, you know, two units, three units, or even I think one time all four units got rented by a, you know, one family for, you know, a three or four day stay. Um, and it, it was, it was four separate reservations, you know, it wasn't any sort of, you know, fancy res- reservation jujitsu or anything, but, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know how y'all do it, but, you know, yeah, we, and we've had a lot of repeat customers too, you know, um, so that's always fun. And uh, so, yeah, absolutely. So I also have another question. I just thought about this. So like, Arlington has to come and inspect these places, right? Because I know, correct. yeah, if you throw a listing up, Arlington's all over it. They'll, if you're not registered. Yeah. So are you paying that hot tax 500 for every single unit over there? Yep. So it's, oh, it is a per man. unit pay. So for anyone that, that doesn't like math, if you have eight units and you have 500 a unit, it's 4,000 per year just for permitting fees for the property plus 9% of your gross income. I mean, it is a killer tax. It's, to my knowledge, the highest in the state of Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, I think even Plano's like 7%. I'm sorry, like no one's tax should be higher than Plano, you know? Um, <laughs> but yeah, it is extremely high um, and, you know, financially burdensome. But the advantage is these properties are walking distance from AT&T Stadium. And so- let me tell you, two weekends of football, you make those permit fees up pretty easy, you know. So, yeah, you really have to look at it, you know, through that lens. And and um, the the probably the bigger challenge is just, you know, on older properties, just having everything up to code. They have a very long list. They are they are detailed oriented. Um, but I I know what to look for, right? So I walk through and do an inspection before they do, and you know, because of that, we have a, a good rapport with the city. You know, we have several properties now that we've taken from, um, you know, basically a dump and turned them around to something that looks nice. Uh, you know, we don't have crazy tenants that are doing crazy things um, that tenants do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're well-maintained. And so I think the city's really appreciative of that. And I'm sure they're also very appreciative of the money that they get every month. So, so how high, how high you got your prices for WrestleMania? WrestleMania, when is WrestleMania? See, so that's the thing. It's, I have a, I have a manager who kind of okay. looks at all the events and stuff. So, I mean, I, I know when a lot of them are going on, but like, I'm not even sure when WrestleMania is, to be honest with you. I will tell you right now, April 2nd and 3rd, actually it's like a four, four days of WrestleMania. So yeah, oh, we, yeah. Sh- we should have no, I, way jacked up. So I know that we're fully booked. I, I don't know what the price is, but, you know, um, we've played around a little bit with some of the, the pricing software. I don't have that all the way figured out where I want it. I'm, I'm, I'm a very hands-on person when it comes to the pricing. So, yeah, we look up the schedule on events and, and bring the prices up based on, you know, kind of historically what we see and then adjust them as we start to get reservations. You know, when you have a bunch of units right there together, you know, you get two real fast and you know you need to raise the prices on the others immediately. So um and vice versa so um but yeah i you brought up a good point with the tax right you said plano only pays seven percent but the thing about plano is airbnb pays the tax to plano 
supposedly. But so okay. now with Arlington, are you allowed to put in there that the guests pay the tax? Like put a little thing in there? Are you doing that, or or do you have to just kind of take it out of your your funds? You have to take it out of your funds. So when they were doing when they were doing legislation, so you know I was a nobody in short term rental when they were passing all this legislation, but. I did spend a lot of time talking to people in the city. And, you know, one thing I encouraged them to do was develop a relationship with Airbnb to be able to do that really for two reasons. One, ease of use for the hosts. Um, and two, ensure that they're getting all the money. Like if it's mm. if Airbnb does it, like they're going to get 100% of the tax. Let me tell you, Arlington's strict, but there's, there's still rogue hosts out there that are, you know, not paying fees and stuff. And so- Mm. Um, you know, there's, you know, definitely, definitely reasons I would like to see that happen. And so, yeah, I contacted them and they basically said, we don't want to go through that hassle. We're not interested in having a relationship with Airbnb. And so instead they developed an extremely mm. cumbersome and, you know, probably man hour heavy system that I, I have no clue how many people <laughs> it takes to run, but you know, you, you just, you just live with it. <laughs> Man. A, bit, a bit stubborn uh it's funny going to those um city hall meetings we were there too we probably saw you uh yeah. we, were, we were sitting on the on the blue shirts side i didn't have my blue shirt today but you, you weren't one of the you weren't one of the people <laughs> with the, the, the love the, the neighborhoods or whatever the red shirt. <laughs> <laughs> i heard i heard some things from i mean like i totally respect everyone's opinion and especially in their neighborhood and stuff so don't misunderstand what i'm about to say but you know, I heard some stuff that night. I will never forget from that side of the crowd. We're like, what? you know, just caricatures of the business that, you know, shouldn't even be stated. But heard yeah. some straight up racist stuff. too. Yeah, was, Me and Michael were like, damn. Yeah. yeah. Some, yeah bringing in all yeah. different kinds of people to our neighborhood. All different yeah, types was, uh, of, I was like, whoa. Yeah. Anyways, I, I, yeah, I so, think it was very poorly represented, but that's my humble opinion. But you, you realize you realize how much power um, elderly people have over our cities because they're the only ones that go to these meetings. They know all the people by first name, right? All the council people by first name. Are you wanting to hop into the short-term rental space but just don't know where to get started? Join our Live, Let, Thrive Facebook group to network with other like-minded investors. We have property managers, lenders, and other experienced hosts to learn from. Click the link below to join. I'll see you there. And That's definitely very, very true. And and I mean, who pays who pays the most property tax of residential properties, right? I mean, yeah. they do. And so, you know, yeah, the city has a vested interest both from a relationship standpoint and a financial standpoint to appease them. But you know, I'm grateful Arlington made a carve out for a way that short-term rental can come to our business. Um, the neighborhood where they zoned is in desperate need of rehab. You know, yes. my understanding, my understanding is that before the stadium went up, you would not want to be in that neighborhood at night. No. Um, like I said, I lived there for a year in that neighborhood and like, we never had any problems with crime or anything. Um, but a lot of the buildings are very dilapidated, you know, and um, there's there's nothing wrong with you know having lower rent properties or anything like that. But my opinion is that at least what I expect of my tenants, both of my residential and commercial properties, is that all tenants, regardless of any income level or whatever, have to be respectful of the property. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of just abusive tenants that you know tear down stuff there. And so, it, it's a neighborhood that needs to be cleaned up. And when you look at the aggressive purchase prices that we're seeing in the market now. 
it takes a business model like short-term rental to justify the kind of expense, you know, to, to properly rehab those properties. And so from that, from that standpoint, I am grateful to the city for, you know, thinking that out and providing that avenue, not only for us as business owners, but also just for the, the benefit of the city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they did see that part, how we, we go in there and, and like you said, rehab the houses, make them beautiful, um, keep them top and not, you know, keep the yards perfect and everything, right? Because yeah. we, we have to, we're not going <laughs> to, we yeah. can't have people staying in a ghetto place. So, Absolutely. but I wish it was, you know, I wish the bubble was a little bigger. I have a house uh, 1.5 miles away from the stadiums. Yeah. So I'm just right outside the bubble. You ever, uh, you ever tried doing the, the 30 day plus day thing or does that not I have really- a, actually, I have a, a, like a corporate agreement was with, with 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 someone that uh, a tenant that was running one of my houses in Hearst, which Hearst also got shut down too. Go figure, you know <laughs> these little peripheral cities. Oh, hey, well, what about us? We want to shut down yeah. something too. And <laughs> even though there's only like twelve Airbnbs in the whole city of Hearst, but anyways, um, so they thought it was the cool thing to do back then. Everybody was trying to shut it down, and, and um, so she, yeah, my my tenant, she stays there and and pays like a, a set fee. You know, yeah. a pretty good, a pretty good price, you know, and for it's, it's all included. It's, it's like, it's like a corporate setup, but she's a, she's a great tenant. So, so it worked out. Okay. And they, and they shut it down. It is the funniest part about that. This is they shut down Airbnb right before COVID. So they kind of did me a favor because I was, uh, you know, just for a brief period of time, because everything, you know, everybody got all, you know, canceled, all the cancellations yeah. that happened and people yeah. were crapping themselves, right? So my house, <laughs> I turned it into a regular rental or a corporate rental right after yeah. they, they they installed the ban, you know? And so yeah. I was able to just seamlessly keep going. Okay, well, that's, I mean, that's good. You know, I mean, I think it worked out pretty well for most of the the good hosts, at least during COVID. But, um, but yeah, it was definitely... Uh, Definitely a couple sleepless nights there for a weekend. <laughs> yeah, man. I, it, oh, man, I, I was calling it my retirement house. I was like, this, I'm making enough money at this house to, to yeah. freaking retire already. It's making more yeah. than what my job pays me. It was beautiful, but then, you know, yeah. all good things. Um, so anyways, yeah, so that happened. I was going to ask um, earlier, because you have the, the you know, the, the eight plex. Is, I guess, is it called the eight plex? It's, it's like six and two. Yeah, I call it the A-plex, but you can call it whatever you'd like to. Okay. I know Arlington, one of the things, and they make you put it in your rules, because we, we do manage a house over there in the entertainment district. And yeah. so they, they make you put it in the rules and state, and then, you know, your house rules that the trash pick up, right? That's like a big Correct. deal. That yeah. you have to put it out as, as like after 7 p.m. You can put yeah. it out the night before or, you know, yeah. in, the, in the morning. And you have to bring the the well it's not really bins where we're at we just set the bags out whatever but um right. yeah so so how do you how do you manage that with it being a, an eight plex do you have a dumpster there for them or how does that work hmm. man that's a that's such a long story so when when i bought the property it had a commercial dumpster like you see at a lot of apartment buildings and my original intention was to keep that dumpster the only thing was it was in the front of the property you can't access the back of it with a, a garbage truck it's too too narrow because there's kind of a back parking lot where everyone parks um, but it's too narrow to get back there so you have to have it on the front it was an eyesore so originally yeah. i thought like well i built a small like fence around it or something and to contain it um and but long story short it wound up getting removed right after we closed on the property long before we started rehab or anything we still had long-term tenants there and Basically, even though it is a commercial property, you know, anything five units or more is a commercial property, it's commercial loan, you know, has commercial laws applied to it. 
the water and trash of Arlington has it as a residential property. And so what that means is that you have to have a permit to have a commercial dumpster on the property. And so it got taken from us. And I was going to apply to get the permit, but I was like, man, I like it in the building so much better without this hideous thing in front of it. So how can I do trash without that? And so, you know, what we do at our fourplexes, you know, each person has the, the recycle bins. And so we put our bags of trash in those and then just basically so that animals don't get on them and just pull them out when it's time to to take the trash out and so you know I pay our cleaners additional uh money on those nights before trash to basically take care of that um at all the properties we have in that area um it's not a perfect system but it's you know reasonably works I guess okay I ask everybody that has you know, Airbnb houses or even, you know, small life fourplexes or whatever, I ask them how they deal with their trash because it is a, it is a, it is a big deal. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't have a perfect answer yet. So that I selfishly ask because I'm coming up with a perfect answer for that, that to be yeah. continued, you know, it's harder with one house because you don't necessarily have someone on site there every day, you know? And so Good for point. me, there's someone cleaning multiple units every day in Arlington. So you know, that person can go do all the trash. So it might be a little bit easier for me. I mean, I, I guess my best guess with a house would be tell the guest to throw it in a bag out in the front. I don't know the night before, but, uh, or, or pay a neighbor kid to take care of it for you kind of thing, you know? Yeah. There's no perfect answer. There's, there's so many people that have different ways to do it, but there's no, you know, not yet. Don't worry. Uh, you know, to be continued. <laughs> how, much, uh, how much do you charge if I bring you a deal? for you to uh, analyze it and the things of that nature. Oh, to charge, to charge for just like analyzing like a multifamily deal. Yeah. 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 I'll, uh, for, for you, I'll, I'll analyze it for free. How does oh, that sound? That's nice. Thanks. That's man. Nice. <laughs> I'll, I'll do I'll do a free one for you. <laughs> no, I, I'll go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, um, no, that's actually kind of what I focus on in multifamily. We, we raise money and we've done pretty well at it, but, I do a lot of acquisition stuff. So, you know, the analyzing, talking to the brokers, going to tour properties, that's kind of my niche in the multifamily world. So, so if we were to bring you one and we wanted to bring you in as a partner, we could do that. And you did, you. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm always looking for new deals, you know? So okay. um, basically <laughs> see, see it, it, the listeners may get a little bit uh, disoriented just because obviously we're talking a lot about short-term rentals because that's what this podcast is about. But for me, like my, my work week, I probably spend, you know, maybe 25% of my time doing short-term rental activities. And I probably spend 75 doing multifamily. Um, like that's where I focus a lot of my time. And so, yeah, I underwrite tons of deals. Um, and I mean, I, I've underwritten a lot for looking at maybe future short-term rental, but most of them are just normal long-term rental properties. And so, um, we look for properties all over Texas and Oklahoma. So sometimes I have to travel and go look at them and stuff like that. But um, it's it's hyper competitive. You know, it's it's tough to find deals right now. So it takes a lot of time just to land one. But but the reward's a lot higher eventually when you do find one. So so you analyze for other people or are you, you're always looking for, for yourself and your team and your I, partners? I, I, I analyze for myself. I have friends like Micah who, you know, they'll, they, like I said, I have an engineering background, right? So, I mean, numbers is kind of my thing. Um, but, you know, I have friends who they'll toss me something and just be like, does this make sense or whatever um, pretty regularly, but, but no, I'm looking for deals for me, you know, to put together. 
And so far you have the fourplex and the eightplex. So we have those as far as kind of like our smaller short-term rental properties, but we actually did two big syndication projects last year. So these are normal long-term rentals. We have a third-party property manager. So one of them is a hundred unit property in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Nice. So that's me, that's me and a group of like a few other GPs, you know, general partners that actively manage that deal. So I'm one partner of a few. Um, so we helped raise money. I did a lot of the due diligence, you know, the walkthroughs on the property, helped build the CapEx budget. Um, and then of course pulled in investors to, and this is a true syndication. So invest passively on that deal. And then we also have a property that we closed on in November last year. It's 75 units in college station. Mm. Um, and I was the, the lead general partner on that deal. So I found the deal, pulled in a couple of people to help, you know, raise money for experience. Um, and that's also a normal, you know, long-term rental. So both of those, we have third-party property managers that they run the property full-time. So my role is more of uh, what's called asset management, which means, you know, ensuring that the property manager is doing the activities both to keep the property running day-to-day and to execute on our long-term business plan. And so there's a lot of stuff involved with that, but like that's those activities looking for new deals and, and running our current deals is, is really where most of my time goes, which is why I pay, you know, managers and co-hosts and stuff to help me on the, the short-term stuff, at least as much as I can. So, so now the 100 unit and the 75 unit, no STRs in either one? No STRs in either one. Those and and why is that? Um, there's, there's a lot of, I, there's a lot of reasons. Um, so oftentimes on big multifamily, your lender will not allow you to STR. Um, and you know, there's people who I know, like, you know, they're like, Oh, I'm going to corporate lease it. And then, you know, I happen <laughs> to be the owner of the corporate lease and stuff. I, I just don't go into that. Um, really, you know, with, with, with big commercial lenders, you don't want to get on their bad side. There are consequences. And so, um, you know, and, and also it's, it would probably create a lot of tension with our property managers. Um, you know, they get paid by the gross income that they pull in on the property. So obviously if you give them a hundred unit, they want to manage a hundred units. Um, so I'm not saying I'll never do that in the future. Um, but there, there are challenges with it. Also one of my personal short-term rental philosophy is I like everything to be within like 30 minutes driving in my house. So obviously if you're the perfect short-term rental operator, you never go to your properties and everyone takes care of everything. And, and we do a pretty decent job at that, but sometimes I have to go to properties. And so I'm not really interested in doing short-term rental in Austin or Oklahoma or wherever, just because um, there's other people doing it there and I do it here in my neighborhood, you know? Um, obviously that's just my personal, you know, how I do things, but um, so it kind of goes against my, my personal short-term rental philosophy too. Um, but you, there, there are opportunities to do that. I have had multifamily operators talk to me about it, ask me questions about it because either they want to do it or, you know, they ask me if I want to do it. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's definitely opportunities there. I like that way of thinking though, you know what you want and how, and it works for you because I mean, you have a hundred yeah. units up in Oklahoma. I mean, you know, but you said something that was very, just right then you said there are other people in the multifamily space trying to dive into the short-term rental space, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's, I mean, people see the mm. money in it and stuff. And um, I mean, I mean, part of it's good. It's, I'm interested to see where the short-term rental space goes because of it, mm. because, 
you know, if you get people who they're not familiar with the business, I mean, you know this as well as anyone, they wind up kind of ruining for everyone because they don't yeah. take care of stuff well. And that really concerns me. Um, I always caution people with their lenders, with their property managers. Um, you know, agency loans, you cannot have short-term rental in your building and they will come after you if they figure out. So um, you have to be, you have to be very careful. Um, and like I said, getting on the bad side of a commercial lender is not something you want to do. Um, they are in a way, a partner on the deal, you know? And so, um, you have to abide by the rules that you've agreed to with them. Um, but beyond that, just, you know, issues of property management and stuff, you know, I've toured properties where now brokers of multifamily even will add, they'll be like, there is a value out of play and they will put numbers on their operate offering memorandum which is basically their sales flyer to say hey if you did short-term rental here you can make x dollars more and it would increase the value of the property this much and while there's a level of truth to it they're they're definitely not seeing the whole story right like some of them are properties where like short-term rental is just probably not viable um because of the neighborhood or something like that um and uh, you know it, it it's just there, there's a lot of inexperienced people that are jumping into it and you know i I try to help people where I can. I don't want people to get bit or anything, especially friends mm -hmm. that I have in multifamily, but it's interesting to say the least. So quick question. How old are you, Jonathan? I'm 29. I turned 30 in like three or four months, man. So I got to, <laughs> I got to do a lot in the next three months, you know, <laughs> I got to say this, man, you be 29 and doing that. You're going straight into the whole cliche. You buy real estate and wait, don't wait to buy real estate. And that's where, and see, and that's why I really enjoyed what you were doing because a lot of people are on the arbitrage thing. And then yeah. you said, hey, multifamily people are trying to get in those short-term rentals. So what it seems like is going to start taking away from the arbitrages, but those short, uh, multifamily people don't know how to run it. So I think it's going to create an opportunity for short-term rental management companies. So th th this is good stuff that you're doing, man. I, 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 best of luck to you and your wife, man. Y'all are killing me. You know, I'm not, su I appreciate it. That's, that's, that's very kind to you. You know, there is so much opportunity if, if someone's listening and they're just getting started. Like I know that, you know, y'all talk a lot about people with management companies. Oh my goodness. So much opportunity for management companies, short-term rental. It's a difficult business. Like you have to hustle and you have to know what you're doing, but if you can do it well, oh my gosh, there's so much opportunity. And so, yeah, anyone getting started really encourage you to look into it. Like I said, I just manage my own properties, but you know, there's a million great business out there and that's certainly one of them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I owe a lot of the credit to my wife. Like I said, she's the one that kind of, when she first mentioned moving to a fourplex, I was like, huh, like, why would I want to do that? You know? <laughs> um, but she's, you know, she's really been the glue that's kind of, you know, held all these projects together. And, and um, even though I'm the one that works on real estate full time now, you know, we're both owners and active, you know, managers of our business. And so, you know, she's, she's definitely deserves more than half the credit for the success. That's the coolest thing. Cause it, it always seems like it's the dude trying to convince yeah. the wife, Hey, come on, let's do this. You know, let's, yeah. let's Airbnb out of room. Let's try to, let's, yeah. let's try to house hack, you know, move into a four plus or something crazy like that. So I have a rule. I don't any property. Cause I love acquisitions, right? I like finding properties. I like buying them. If, if my wife is not excited, not just agrees, but like excited about the property, I don't do it, you know? Mm -hmm. So like our college station deal, I literally said, Hey, I, I was like, I found a multifamily. Like, I think we need to buy it. And like, we were in the car the next day 
driving down there with her with me because I wanted her to see the property and she saw it, she toured it with me. It was like, yeah, we're going to buy this one, you know, but like, it's just, you have to, and whether that's a spouse or, you know, just a, a very smart business partner with different gifts and abilities, like, especially when you start talking about, you know, using other people's money and syndicating and stuff, you have to realize that you never have all the answers and like you need to input from other people. And so if your spouse happens to be the person, that's obviously fantastic. If not, you need to find someone who is that other person, you know? Mm. Love it. That is Love cool, it. man. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm happy for y'all. I'm happy it's a uh, uh, team in this, you know? And, um, and, and me and Micah are, are lucky enough to have wives that are su very supportive of us, of our craziness, yeah. our crazy ideas. <laughs> it yeah. helps, man. Cause, Cause it's yeah. not all good. Yeah. It's not all good days, right? Like some days no. you make money and some days you get your teeth kicked in. So that's what I've talked about enough, man. Some days you do, you do you I, get teeth kicked in, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like the, the, you know, the loan getting pulled on the properties, like one example Ooh. of that, but there's so many more I could give, you know, I'm, I'm newer in the the arbitrage arena, but like, I would say for me, like, I feel like that's been harder getting started in that and just leases and contracts and stuff than like even just buying my own properties and starting, you know? And so, um, you know, it's, it's a challenge. Yeah. I'm getting out of that arbitrage business. I'm replacing them all with some of my own. Cause yeah, I, it's, yeah. I, I see the ending inch in short sight on it. And, yeah. and when I was talking to you, and listening yeah. to like how you were setting up your system, like, yeah, yeah, investors are starting to hop in the space and it's going to start, you know, crazy. Uh, yeah. Here's how I use the, the arbitrage um, model. You know, we have a, we have a bunch of arbitrages, but this here's how I use it in, in a kind of a creative way is so I get, you know, I like to arbitrage uh, someone's condo that they own. Right. I don't like, I don't okay. like the, I do have, do have some apartments, you know, in apartment complexes and those are like the, the most headaches, but someone that actually owns the condo or owns the townhome or owns the house, you know, we, I love those because I say, Hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to go and Micah taught me this a long time ago. I was like, how do I get people to let me arbitrage their house, but tell them that you're going to handle everything, you know, anything under 200 yeah. bucks you're going to fix. And there's going to be no headaches for them. The yard's going to be immaculate. Everything's yeah. going to be immaculate, you know? And so, you know, I, I pitch them this and they're like, wow, this is pretty cool. Are you, this sounds too good to be true. And you're just going to put, you know, corporate travelers, whatever. And um, so I pay them first of the month. 5 a.m. in the morning, I'm sending them money, right? First of the yeah, month. Yeah. Landlords love that shit. And uh, <laughs> I don't bother oh, yeah. them for nothing, right? I don't bother them yeah. for nothing. I try to fix anything, anything small that, you know, whatever that I can fix or I have my handyman can fix it, you know, small, you know, I don't even bug them. If some big AC goes out, of course, we're going to have to tell them, right? And, and right. Um, so anyway, so I, I make it as headache free as possible. Give them the rent on time. I'm their their dream, um, you know, tenant, right? Because I mean, they're, yeah. they're getting paid, and and they'll reach out. And I've got this phone call already. I've got four properties owners that are already saying, "Hey, Steve, I'm thinking about selling the house. Maybe I, you can sell it to y'all. We don't even have to bring agents into the mix." So I form a yeah. good, strong relationship mm -hmm. with the person I'm arbitraging with. And I'm able to to buy these houses, and yeah. it's not going to hit the market where there's going to be like a hundred people bidding on it, right? And so it's 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 a great end. If my end game is to man, I really love this property. I love the location. I love you know the setup. I love how they, and and um, I'm going to arbitrage this thing, even if I broke even that whole year, you know, or lost money. I formed a great strong bond with this person that could that wants to deal directly with me and sell me this thing. I think I think that's worth it. If you're gonna if your end game is that. 
hundred percent. And so I would, I would throw two things out there for everyone to think that's because probably everyone, like I said, I'm probably a beginner level at the arbitrage, right? I've done a handful of properties, some of them. Okay. Some of them, you know, not okay back and forth, you know, but, um, but I would say this, if you're someone who only does arbitrage one, think about using some of your cash flow to start buying properties because you're, it, it, it's great to have cash flow. It's wonderful, but you don't want to run your arbitrage business forever. No one wants to. And so, you know, how are you going to build wealth to be able to have true passive income one day? That's one, that's one bit of advice I would give. Second bit of advice, and this is the multifamily syndicator in me speaking, consider investing some of your money from arbitrage into a multifamily syndication passively. Mm. One, you're putting the money to work without having to do anything. And two, one of the big advantages that some of your listeners may not be aware of in the commercial real estate world is the tax advantages. So when you buy a residential house, you know, basically over 30 years, the IRS assumes that because your house is being used for business purpose, it goes from a value that you purchased it at to a value of $0 over 30 years. So each year you get to write off 130th of the value of the house, um, which is a paper loss. What that means is that like reality, your house has probably gone up in value, but the IRS says it's gone down in value 130th. That's a big advantage. In commercial, you get to actually accelerate many of the items on the property. And so instead of getting basically 130th, you get to deduct the property over a period, a, a large majority of the property, I should say, over a period of five years. So the write-off you get is substantially larger, but it gets even better than that. So there was a tax law that went into effect in 2017, and it ends at the end of this year, the end of 2022. And mm. it's what we, we colloquially refer to it as bonus depreciation in, in multifamily. What that means is all five of those years of depreciation, which are compressed from 30, you now can write off in year one. Wow. So what that means is that like, if you put say $50,000 in a multifamily syndication and it varies project to project, you can write off anywhere from probably like 50 to 80% of your investment as a tax deduction, which as, as someone who works in real estate full-time and you need to talk to your CPA and all that, don't take my word, I'm not a CPA, go talk to your CPA. But basically you can take that off of your other passive income sources. Or if you have a spouse that works as a W-2 in your full-time real estate, deduct it off their W-2. So basically, you know, you say you put, you know, 50,000 in the project, 80% is deducted. That means you have a $40,000 write-off. That's $40,000 you don't pay taxes on. So Forget about whether you make 8% or 10% or 15% or whatever on your investment. You're not paying taxes on $40,000, you know, like that's probably your biggest return on investment in that project. And so that's one thing that multifamily people are extremely aware of. They're very cognizant of that a lot of people in short-term rental are not, but it could benefit them if they were aware of it. Mm. Facts. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, it, it, it is funny. I, I heard a good, using the bigger pockets, I assume. Yeah, oh yeah, saying, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You heard the, the episode a few weeks ago with uh, the the accountant of rich dad poor dad. 
Okay. That he, he came on there. If you haven't heard it, go listen. I have to it. not heard it, but I will listen to it. Mind blowing stuff. He talks the same thing yeah. that you talk about and yeah. a bunch of other creative stuff that they do. He's, in other words, he said it's not that rich people don't pay taxes, it's they pay less taxes. And and he talked about that bonus depreciation and uh, taking all that depreciation out the first year. Right? Yeah. And he goes, well, okay, you're taking it out the first year. That's fine. But then they'll bundle that that um, tax savings or the you know uh, that return with 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 debt to go buy another property and so they just keep doing that over and over and that new property they'll take all the depreciation out the first year use all that money bundle it with 80 percent debt and buy another property correct and it's just like that's why they don't pay as much tax as we do that's right and you see a lot of these syndication plans the reason that a lot of them are written to five-year business models or less is is one that's all it takes to add value to the property once you've added value you know your kind of return on investment starts to you know, it, it, you're always going to be making money, but much less, a much lower rate than what you are before. That's one reason, probably the biggest. But then the other has to do with tax laws. I mean, your first five years, you get tremendous tax advantage. And after that, it's diminished substantially. So, it, you know, once you're five years into a project, you're, you're probably better off exiting it from a tax perspective. Mm. Man, some high-level stuff on this episode. <laughs> yeah, I told you before the show, Steve. I'm like, this is the one I've been waiting on. <laughs> well, thank you for hopping on, man. This has been uh, eye-opening. I'm glad, and you know, a lot of our fans, you know, got a lot from this because they're a lot of our fans are doing the high-level stuff now. So it, it is, um, you know, we used to, our early episodes we talked about, you know, what kind of sheets do you buy? What kind of pillows? You know, <laughs> yeah. And now yeah. it just it's just we've moved past that. And a lot more people are doing Airbnb short-term rentals, investing in real estate. And yeah. so uh something like this is very valuable for them. For us too. We'll be talking after the show. Try to get the little syndication going on, maybe. You know, you never know. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, I got a management company, so I think maybe, you know, we'll talk that. We'll talk on that. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. And I'll Sounds your, great. Your trash, you know, situation. But anyways, um, <laughs> thank you for hopping on. Where can people find you, man? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So I'm, I'm very active on LinkedIn. My name is Jonathan Nichols. Um, so you can definitely find me there. Um, and then our company, our multifamily company is called Apogee Capital. Um, and so we have a website, Apogee, A-P-O-G-E-E, M-F-C, like multifamilycapital.com. On there, we have like a free ebook about passively investing in multifamily and a ton of other information. Um, so, you know, feel free to peruse that. And so between those two things, you can definitely get a hold of me and, you know, always happy to chat, uh, you know, no matter what you're interested in. So reach out what is anytime. That, where does that name Apogee come from? Yeah, that's a great question. So like I said, my background is engineering, specifically aerospace engineering. And so um, in aerospace, you know, one of the classes that you take is like where you have satellites orbiting bodies like, you know, the moon or the earth or whatever and planets orbiting, stuff like that. And so the apogee is when something's in orbit, it's like the furthest point that it can reach in the orbit. The reason that's important is like, you know, if you have a spaceship, you want to see how far it can go in the orbit, you want to know. Or like if you have a satellite, you're trying to see what kind of reach it has over the earth. You want to know what's the furthest point that it can reach in that orbit. Um, but then the colloquial definition of apogee is like pinnacle or climax of something. And so I had this idea to name our company apogee because it kind of marries my past career with what we're trying to do now, which is help people reach their financial potential. You know, we have a lot of family and friends who they're very interested in real estate. They're very cognizant of the importance of investing but they don't have the time or the experience to invest in real estate. And so that's really what our company is about is 
helping people invest who otherwise may not be able to. Hmm. That's powerful stuff, man. Like that. But yeah, man, John, thank you for giving us your time. We know you're a busy guy man. and having you on, this has been a pleasure. We definitely got to, we got to have you back on when that valuation comes through. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. And you can come to the party too when I see it. So oh yeah, (laughs) definitely send us an invite. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Hey, thanks for having me on guys. I really had a good time chatting with both y'all. You too, man. See you, man. Take care. All right. Bye. Dude, that was, uh, I said that would be a powerful one. And it was because he touched on a lot of things that I think that where the short-term rental space is going. And, uh, yeah, that, that, that was a really powerful episode. I enjoyed it. You know, um, in how you said we no longer talk about sheets and I broke, I thought about it the other day. We're in the business sustainability part of business. Now, how do you say sustainable, you know, the mm-hmm. sheets? Yeah. The sheets are important, but man, we, we, we're, Past that, go listen to another podcast for that beginner stuff. We're we're on sustainability, growing your business. You know, uh, no fits to the beginning. You know, if you're a beginner, you can hop into LLC. Yeah, we're 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 into that apogee now. We're, like, <laughs> we're about to leave orbit. You know, what I'm saying yeah, yeah, to the moon. Yeah, you know, LLC to the moon. <laughs> we can make that a, a crypto, but yeah. you know, uh, NFT. But no, man, uh, honestly, though, man, that, 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 what he talked about, I think that's where the, where the space is going. You know, you got in, I think two years ago, I said, man, if investors start hopping into short-term rentals and in, in multifamily, man, that could be a headache for arbitragers. Now, people like, you know, managers like you, you could take off like, Hey, I'll manage it for you. You don't know what the hell you're doing anyway. You know? So, yeah. 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 So th- this is a really good episode, man. That was a great episode. And I like how, he explains everything uh, so accessibly, you know, people mm-hmm. can understand it clearly um, and, and they can get a lot from it. I, you know, it, we, I never even thought of that. I've never thought of that in my life. Just, just putting some money into some syndication just for the tax benefits. I'm like, wow. I thought of it. Okay. We're just all sharing and, you know, buying it, sharing in the profits and that's pretty much it, you know, mm-hmm. but then just, um, yeah, you could, you can get, you could put in 50 grand or whatever, and, or you can put in, you know, whatever it is. And then you, you get like a $40,000 write-off that you can, you don't have to pay taxes on $40,000 of your profits that year. Yeah. Ooh, ooh, that's just, Oh, that's lovely. Anyways. So there you go. If, if you're um, like, man, I can't find a house. I can't find nothing to, to buy. Everything's so competitive, you know? throw it into a nice syndication deal and get you a nice fat um you can get a ref- uh, nice fat return from that you know a nice fat um uh, deduction because yeah that's that's how you do it owning owning is the, okay. is the is the end goal man dude uh yeah you're about to we're, we're, we're about to we're about to light up our whatsapp tonight man because that was such a good episode i got a bunch of ideas from that that was a really good episode so i got a bunch of ideas from that we can re- definitely uh Look into because, yeah, that was good. Yes, sir. Uh, Where can folks find us, Micah? You can find us at liveletthrive.com. You can also find us on IG at liveletthrive. And like we did say, LLT University is coming. coming. Uh, you'll see some a few more things. We haven't, we're where it works. We got to get everything structured and set up. But yeah, LLT University is coming. That is going to be our whole mentorship program. Me, Steve, Mike, Federico, the whole LLT fam. You're going to, see the whole how the whole thing works you know from the Mm. timeshares to the management to the to the arbitrages to the buying of houses for free all that so we're gonna have all that in there so uh yeah we look forward to the people that have been listening and wanted this we hope that it's going to be able to provide value for you sweet my big things coming yes sir we are out peace later
Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Live, Let, Thrive. Be sure to tune in next week for all the latest in the world of Airbnb and all that entails. Bye-bye.